Tonight on Huckabee, Alwyn Dershowitz on the fallout from the impeachment. Lieutenant Colonel West fights for Texas. And Ketchy tells her amazing story. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Oh, thank you. What a great audience we have out here. By the way, I... Uh, Forgot that Trey did not get his copy of the script this week. I forgot about that. Thank you. Needed to give that Thank to you. You never know when you'll need it or not. I don't know. Your what? You know, I've always worried about this guy. He has been on a tear As recently. As courteous I could have been with that, I'm just saying. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but the president has shown that he is uh, a pretty forgiving spirit. I don't know if you heard this this afternoon, a, a really nice announcement. He announced that he's sending a delegation uh, involving Mitt Romney, Nancy Pelosi, Jerry Nadler, and Adam Schiff, a delegation he's sending them to China. It's called the... No hard feelings tour. <laughs> well, you know, I've been really kind of busy this week, so I wondered, did much happen in the news that I may have missed? <laughs> hey, just kidding. Wow, what a week. Iowa Democrats held their caucuses on Monday night, or at least they thought they did. <laughs> I mean, here's the party that wants to run the country. They proved they couldn't organize a two-car funeral, run a one-monkey circus, boil water, or take a simple show of hands and phone in the results of it. <laughs> Folks, I've been in caucuses. They're not that difficult. You show up at a school, a gym, a library, or church fellowship hall, and you show your support for a candidate, usually with a show of hands. It gets counted and reported, and bang, it's over. Kind of like a student council election in the eighth grade <laughs> with a few more people voting. How hard can it be to count hands? But Democrats found a way to make it less successful than the launch of the original Obamacare website, <laughs> the maiden voyage of the Titanic, or this year's football season for the Arkansas Razorbacks. Well, it appears we all will know the results of New Hampshire's primary before they can even sort out who actually won in Iowa. Heck, at the rate they're going, we may have the November general election results in before the Democrats even get their results from the Iowa caucuses. Then on Tuesday, President Trump gave his State of the Union address. Yeah. You know, his critics expected that he would blast the impeachment fiasco. He never even brought it up, not once. He spent the entire evening celebrating America and the individual Americans who really have made America great. And, and the media and partisan Democrats went berserk. A group of Democrat women from the House all wore white for reasons unknown, <laughs> unless they were actually coming from choir practice at church. 
But their behavior made it clear they weren't there to sing hymns. No, they screamed at the president. They made the kind of faces that one sees from a seven-year-old girl whose parents didn't let her watch the Super Bowl halftime show. <laughs> and apart from Kirsten Sinema, Democrat senator from Arizona, who actually applauded the president more than once for jobs programs, the rest of the entire Democrat members sat on their hands, and they wouldn't even stand for a 100-year-old Tuskegee Airman whose 13-year-old great-grandson wants to be an astronaut. Or neither would they stand for a nine-year-old girl whose single mom wanted a choice for her daughter's education and who had that wish granted by the president. Nor did they stand for the family of a young lady who had been tortured and murdered by Islamic radicals directed by General Soleimani, who then was taken out by an airstrike ordered by the president. I sat there and watched and I really wondered, whose side were they on? And then the Democrats went into nuclear meltdown when the president honored longtime radio host Rush Limbaugh with the Medal of Freedom just a day after he had disclosed that he had stage four lung cancer. You know, it made us wonder, if they can't celebrate the best unemployment numbers for blacks, Hispanics, women, or young people, if they can't be jubilant that the largest wage gains were for people at the bottom of the economy, if they can't celebrate a statement that we will protect human life or that we won't ever succumb to the horrors of failed economic socialism, you wonder, what do they want America to look like? I'm not sure I want to know. <laughs> and when it ended, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi childishly and angrily, just like Trey, tore the president's speech in pieces and then tossed it aside as her final demonstration of her public snit. Well, the next day, the long, expensive, and divisive impeachment scam was finally over as the president was fully acquitted of both of the farce charges. Yep, these were charges that were trumped up, no pun intended, by the House Democrats. And by the way, what did they get for all of this? Well, the president's approval numbers are at an all-time high. That's what they get. They have wasted months of time, which could have been spent to focus on health care, our road system, national defense, and border security. And they have ensured that next year, when President Trump is giving his fifth State of the Union address, it will be Speaker Kevin McCarthy sitting behind the president. And I'm pretty sure he won't tear up the president's speech or the country. My first guest is considered one of the most brilliant legal minds in the country. He's one of the best known defense lawyers. He's represented many high-profile clients over his 50-year career. His defense of Klaus von Bülow was immortalized in the Oscar-winning film Reversal of Fortune. He's also known as the strongest champion of civil liberties in the nation. Most recently, you might have known him as a part of President Donald Trump's legal team. Please welcome Harvard Law Professor Emeritus Alan Dershowitz. Alan, it's great to have you here, and I want to get right to it. Is this really over, this whole impeachment nonsense, or will they do it again? Look, they tried to 
impeached the president even before he took the oath of office. And this has been a campaign from day one. And they think they didn't lose. They got one senator, um, my former student, Mitt Romney, to vote guilty on one of the charges. And they regard that as a great victory. So they're going to push on. Look, I'm a liberal Democrat. And it hurts me to see the Democratic leadership abusing the Constitution and hurting their party. Uh, you know, President Trump's numbers have gone up. The Republican Party's numbers have gone up. They are shooting the Democratic Party in the foot. And I think it's a tragedy for America. You, you've made it very clear. And I've known you a long time. You're a liberal. You're a Democrat. You voted for Hillary. You didn't vote for Donald Trump. Why did you uh, sign up to be part of the legal team? For the same reason I would have signed up if Hillary Clinton had been elected president and the Republicans try to impeach her. I'm there to defend the Constitution. I love the Constitution. I love my country. The Constitution is the most enduring document. The framers would be turning over in their grave if they saw how this impeachment criteria is being abused for partisan purposes. They intended impeachment to be used only when both parties get together and agree that there's a president who's engaged in such egregious criminal conduct that he cannot continue to serve. If this impeachment had worked, we'd see every president who was elected with a different party controlling the House impeached. It would make impeachment as normal as votes of non-confidence against prime ministers in European countries. That's the system we rejected. And that's why Madison said, no, maladministration can't be a criteria for impeachment. It has to be high crimes, misdemeanors, treason, or, or bribery. And those criteria weren't met here. You made a very compelling speech on the floor of the Senate uh, in defense of the president. Uh, the media mischaracterized it, and I thought incredibly unfairly, trying to say that you said Donald Trump could do anything he wanted to do. I heard you. You did not say that. Why did they misrepresent you? They surely uh, are as capable of hearing what I heard. When I made my speech, I looked right at Senator Schumer. I looked right at uh, Congressman Nadler and Congressman Schiff. They understood it, and they didn't come over afterward and say, oh, my God, you said the president could be a king. They made a calculated decision to misrepresent my view. What I said, and it was so clear, if a president does anything illegal, he can be impeached. But if he does something that's completely legal, completely within his authority, but he's motivated in part by a desire to get reelected, that alone can turn innocent conduct into guilty conduct. That's a self-evident proposition. They knew that was a lie. The New York Times corrected them. The Wall Street Journal corrected them. But they persist in lying about my statement because they saw that in my speech, I did have something of an impact on some of the senators. They came up to me, including some Democrats and including the lawyer for the manager, saying that that was a good speech that influenced people. So then they decided to go out and try to hurt my credibility by making up a story about me. And CNN pushed it harder than anybody. You know, CNN every night has people checking for the truth of what the president said. It's about time CNN had somebody assigned to check on the truth of what their own commentators say, because their commentators pushed a lie. One of them, Joe Lockhart, who I know you know. I know Joe. Uh, Joe Lockhart accused me of being Hitler, Stalin, oh, and Mussolini. Goodness. You, you mentioned uh, some of the senators coming up to you afterwards who totally got it. One who apparently didn't get it was your right. former student, Mitt Romney. Uh, were you surprised by Mitt well, Romney's he vote? Came, he's one of the people who came up to me mm. afterward and reminded me that I had given him an A-plus in criminal <laughs> law and then said that 
uh, I was wrong. He pointed out that I was wrong because what if a president were to pardon only Republicans and not Democrats? Wouldn't that be an impeachable crime? And the answer is no, it yeah. wouldn't be. It would be a terrible thing. Yeah. It would be something that would cause me to vote against him. And many presidents have used friendship, uh, maybe even political contributions and uh, partisanship in granting uh, pardons. We're living in a time where people can just throw an accusation right. at someone and they're considered guilty. And some of the members of Congress actually said it was the president's responsibility to prove himself innocent. That was shocking for me to hear. It's shocking. It's shocking. It applies in politics. It applies in the Me Too movement. I was accused by a woman I never met, never heard of. And I found emails by her proving that she never met me. She never, she claimed she saw me once, never met me. And then her own lawyer admitted on tape that she couldn't have ever met me and she was wrong, simply wrong. And I got the former head of the FBI to do an investigation. He concluded it was wrong. And yet because I'm accused, people have canceled speeches. Oh my people God. have said I can no longer be on television because I've been accused, yeah. even though I've been completely exculpated and vindicated in every possible way. But an accusation now equals guilt, which is why I had to write that book. And I've just written another book. It's not out yet. It'll be out next week called Defending the Constitution, which has my speech on the Senate floor, the questions, the answers, and my response to the mischaracterization of what I said. I'm keeping busy just keeping the record straight. These accusations fly all over the place for financial reasons, partisan reasons, and we have to fight back. I'm glad you're fighting back. And I, I want our audience to know that when you're fighting back, you're not fighting back just for for you, it's not just about Alan Dershowitz. You're fighting back for every single American who believes in due process, who believes Absolutely. in innocent until proven guilty. And if you lose, we all lose. And that's why I'm so grateful uh, for your writings and your just unapologetic advocacy uh, for the constitutional uh, just process of our judicial system. Thank you, Alan Dershowitz, so very much. Well, Delighted I appreciate to have you. that. Well, I hope you never need Alan Dershowitz, but you can find him on Twitter at Alan Dersh. Also, be sure and get your copy of Professor Dershowitz's latest book, Guilt by Accusation, one we've just been talking about. That is available wherever books are sold. Now, if you're ready for my perspective on tour loser Nancy Pelosi, Mitt Romney, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and much more, visit Huckabee.tv for my Facts of the Matter segment. Right now, I'm going to be sending things over to our presiding judge tonight, Judge Keith Bilbrey. He's going to give us a ruling on the rest of the show. Okay, I need a guess. Coming up, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West fights for Texas. Later, country music's Deborah Allen, actress Nancy Stafford, plus singer Catchy from America's Got Talent, here on Huckabee. The pastor who's challenging AOC for Congress and America's band, the Beach Boys, perform. And welcome back to the show. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West is a former congressman, highly respected combat veteran, who put his own career on the line to protect those under his command. He's an author, columnist, political commentator. He's currently running for the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. It is a distinct honor to welcome a true American hero, a guy I love, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Thank you, Colonel, Thank you. 
Great having you here. Thank you. Look at these Thank folks. You. They love Alan West. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. That is awesome. It's a pleasure. I've been, uh, this is the 123rd episode. I've never gotten a standing ovation. I just want to throw that out. Now, you know what? You deserve it. And I'm thrilled, seriously, to have you here because you, you've taken stands in your long military career. Mm -hmm. But you've also served this country as a member of Congress. Yes, sir. You've been an outspoken person when it comes to the issues that face this country. You speak with some authority on an area that I think is really coming into its own. African Americans are now more than ever giving conservatism a listen. Why? Well, I think that when you look at the fundamental principles and values of the black community, and I was born just right down the road in Atlanta, Georgia. As a matter of fact, it was 59 years ago today that I was born in this Atlanta, Georgia. This is his birthday. So. <laughs> uh, so. Pretty good. Can't think of a better way to spend your birthday but, than with us. But think about the greatness of America in that on 7 February 1961, I was born into a blacks-only hospital. Hmm. But now I'm sitting here with a man that was a former governor, and a man that was a former presidential candidate, because that's the greatness of America. When we understand our fundamental values of faith, family, individual responsibility, quality education, small business entrepreneurship, and service to the nation. So I think that more people in the, in the minority communities are understanding that. And when you look at what President Trump did in his State of Union address, Given that opportunity scholarship mm. to that young girl in the fourth grade, recognizing a Tuskegee Airman and promoting him to Brigadier General, and all of those things he has done, the historic black colleges and universities, the uh, economic opportunity zones that took a veteran that had a drug mm. addiction, and now he's back on the right path. The message is getting out into the black community that these other guys have been duping us for quite some time. I, I thought a very powerful moment was his recognition of the First Step Act. There are a lot of people who have been incarcerated. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's some people that needs to be incarcerated, you know, dangerous people. Sure. But there's some people that were incarcerated for, for small crimes, but they didn't have good legal representation. They basically were thrown away. Alice Johnson. Absolutely. Uh, is a great example. Nonviolent drug offender, was there for life because of mm -hmm. harsh sentencing. The president's program, which was bipartisan, mm -hmm. was able to give her a whole new life with her family again. That's got to be resonating out there it's in the community. It's resonating in an incredible way. And I want to do this by comparison. Think about this. The quote-unquote first black president of the United States of America, Barack Obama, in April 2009, he canceled the D.C. school voucher program. Hmm. But he sent his daughters to Sidwell Friends, a very prestigious school. Very private and very expensive Very school. private and very expensive. But yet you saw the guy that they say that is a racist in front of the entire world give an opportunity scholarship to a young girl in Philadelphia yeah. whose mother is doing everything she can for her to have the equality of opportunity that this country affords. You are running for chairman of the uh, Republican Party of the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I want to call attention, you've written a book called Hold Texas, Hold the Nation. I mean, a lot of us are looking at Texas. It's getting a little scary over there. It used to be a very conservative, solid, red kind of state. What's going on in Texas? Well, big concerns. In 2018, uh, the Republican Party in Texas lost 12 state house seats. 
two state senate seats, two U.S. congressional seats, 56 judgeships. You know about Fort Worth, Tarrant County. Yeah. Uh, O'Rourke, uh, he won Tarrant County. Ted Cruz didn't even win Tarrant County. What is happening in, uh, in Texas is much the same as you have seen in Nevada or Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, and Virginia. Mm -hmm. is that people are fleeing from these failed economic states and they are coming into states like Texas and others where there is great opportunity for economic growth and prosperity, but for whatever reason, they're coming still with those same failed policies and beliefs. And then also on top of that, you look at our college campuses, our university campuses, and now even down to the middle school level. I think that one of the most important elected positions in the country the school board. Mm -hmm. but, Absolutely. But the position that has the least amount of voter participation is school board. Yeah. Uh, there are predictions, and Van Jones, who is uh, certainly no fan of the president, but he's an honest guy, mm -hmm. and I, I like Van. He's personally a decent guy. Uh, very liberal. And he's saying to his fellow African-Americans, we better wake up. What's, what's happening that, that, that he's seeing that a lot of these other folks in the uh, other party don't seem to be seeing? Well, they're seeing results. I mean, he is seeing the results. But for whatever reason, you saw those faces that were there, the Congressional Black Caucus faces. When you are telling folks that you have the lowest unemployment rate in history, yeah. that historic black colleges and universities are finally getting federal support instead of going under, he is, you know, when he said in 2016 in North Carolina, <laughs> what have you got to lose? Yeah. He has <laughs> backed it up, though. Yeah. You were in the military a long time. Mm -hmm. You saw good commanders rough commanders, you've seen it all. Uh, tell me what you think the president has done right in relationship to the military. So he has unleashed our military to do what they're supposed to do. Go out there and engage the enemy and fight them, destroy them, and kill them. And that's what we're trained to do. And thank God we have a president that understands that. Alan West, thank you very much. My pleasure. What a delight to have you here. Thank you. Now, to find out more about Lieutenant Colonel West, go to West4, the number, west4texas.com. And if you want articles, media appearances, books, including this latest one, I highly recommend it. It's really a, a template on what's happening across the entire country. It's called Whole Texas, Whole the Nation. You can get that by visiting theoldschoolpatriot.com. And happy birthday, by the way. Well, Keith Bilbrey is holding the key to the rest of the show. Let's get him to open the door and tell you what's there. Well, here we go. Coming up, funny news to make you smile. Plus, singer-songwriter Deborah Allen. Later, the woman behind the movie First Lady. And Catchy tells her miraculous story on Huckabee. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Well, from drug-induced dummies to a million dollars gone up in smoke, we've got the news stories that'll make you say, dude, no way, on a segment that we call In Case You Missed It. All righty, let's get started. Dateline, Lebanon, Tennessee. A 20-year-old man was in court charged with simple possession when he asked to approach the bench. As he walked up to the judge, he took out a marijuana cigarette, lit it up, and began smoking it right in the courtroom. 
I'll bet when the sheriff in the courtroom asked him, how high are you? He probably said, no, dude, it's high. How are you? <laughs> well, the young man is now facing two charges of simple possession. I guess that means he's double jointed now. <laughs> All right. In other, this is your brain on drugs, we turn to a favorite source for weird things, Florida. The highway patrol arrested two men on suspicion of drug trafficking after they were pulled over for speeding. And no wonder they like speed. They had a bag containing cocaine, methamphetamines, fentanyl, and other illegal drugs. Now, if you can believe this, the drug dealers had hidden over $15,000 of drugs in a bag labeled, wait for it, bag full of drugs. Oh. That cannot be true, Governor. It is it true. Be. We have a picture of the bag. There's the bag. That's yep. what it says. Bag full of drugs. That's brilliant. Now, it is rumored that the two criminals tried to offer community service advice for their crimes, but when they said they wanted to tell others to stay in drugs, eat school, and don't do vegetables, <laughs> they struck out all over again. I don't know if the audience really got that one or not, but <laughs> I could barely get through it. All right. The sheriff's office allegedly told the drug dealers to be aware that their police dogs don't just sniff out drugs, that they can read, too. <laughs> These guys were so dumb, they probably thought German shepherds didn't read English. <laughs> now, consider this. <laughs> if, these, if these two criminals had been caught in California, the drugs might have been legal, but they would have thrown the book at them for possessing a plastic bag. Hey, we've all known that addicted smoker who was able to shake their habit by using the patch. What about people who have other cravings that they just can't shake? Charles Spence, who's a scientist from Oxford University and a British food company called Strong Roots, is promoting a meat patch. It helps people overcome their desire to eat meat. They've even enlisted professional boxer Tommy Fury to help sell it. I don't mean to cast dispersions, but... I mean, do you really think this fighter might be a little punch drunk? <laughs> you know, Tommy, the only fury I would be feeling is having to smell a bacon patch and not eating several strips of bacon. Uh, Governor? Yeah, Keith? I, I'm going to tell you, I knew a guy who went to a butcher shop and asked, Sir, are you a gambling man? Well, the butcher said, I am. So my friend said, I'll bet you $25 you can't touch that meat hanging over your head. Butcher said, I'm sorry, I won't take that bet. My friend asked him why, and the butcher replied, because the stakes are far too high. <laughs> Don't turn on me. You, you want to go ahead and finish that? Uh, that's it. That's it? Okay. <laughs> the hey. stakes are far too high. Yeah, I, I, I think we got it. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the problem. We got it. <laughs> Well, hey, since we're talking about jolly old England, I'm going to ask you, Keith, do you know who the only knight of the round table was that ate meat exclusively? Hmm. It was I, I Sirloin. Oh, That's who. yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's get back to the meat patch saga because there's really more to this story. You see, our Oxford scientist states that experiencing food-related cues such as smelling a bacon aroma can lead us to imagine the act of eating that food rather than actually eating it. Right. I want to just say, if I don't think I'll ever go 
to a smell buffet to satisfy my carnivorous appetite. Well, this next story comes from our neighbors to the north. Canadian businessman Bruce McConville was put in jail for burning $1 million in a bonfire just to avoid giving it to his wife as part of their divorce settlement. <laughs> now, I know the Canadians call their $1 coin a loony. <laughs> but I think that's what we call this fellow. I mean, we've all heard some pretty strange divorce settlements. You know, like the guy in Cambodia who had the house literally cut in half for he and his wife to share. That's one. Or when singer Marvin Gaye recorded the new album and gave all the royalties to his ex-wife. The title of the album was, Here, My Dear. <laughs> and then there was the judge in Australia who awarded an ex-wife pet goat to her former husband. That's what I really call getting someone's goat. <laughs> the judge sentenced McConville to 30 days in jail for violating court orders ordered him to pay 2,000 bucks a day to his ex-wife for every day that he fails to disclose his finances to the court moving forward. I think Mr. McConville should have realized that marriage is a lot like a hand grenade. If you remove the ring, you lose everything. <laughs> well, as if it isn't bad enough, the impeachment and the Iowa caucuses are over. We are acquitting in case you missed it for the week. But until next time, never forget that we read the news. Well, we finally decided to uh, let Keith out for some fresh air, and he's gonna bring us a Minnesota destination with a little something for everyone on Our Kind of Town. Located 70 miles outside of Minneapolis, Wabashaw, Minnesota welcomes one and all to the home of grumpy old men. Hey, but don't be fooled. Everyone here is happy to see you, and you'll be happy to be there. Between ice fishing and eagle watching on the frozen Mississippi and carving the slopes at Coffee Mill Ski Area, finding something to do and Wabashaw is an absolute breeze. Enjoy a hot cup of cocoa and a local eatery, and then enjoy a ride on a beautiful hand-carved carousel at the Clark Toy Store. Celebrate the Grumpy Old Man Festival at the end of February by joining in on the fun of Grumpy Plunge, ice fishing, and a showing of Grumpy Old Man. And in case you're more of a planner, let me tell you about Septoberfest. This celebration has so many things going on, it literally takes weeks to fit them all in. Artistic displays of thousands of pumpkins, corn stalks, and flowers among the natural beauty of the winding river. Not to mention races, scarecrow contest, and plenty more to sink your teeth into. Is it September yet? Despite its humble size of 2,500 people, Wabashaw, Minnesota goes big on making visitors feel welcome, taken care of, and thoroughly entertained. And that's why it's our kind of town. Well, our thanks to the Wabashaw Chamber of Commerce for letting us explore their wonderful town. I hope you'll go to the Wabashaw MN, that's WabashawMN.org website, plan your visit. 
Now, I've been missing this segment and so glad we've got it back tonight. I love the great communities of America and we are thrilled to give them a little attention that is well-deserved. Hey, Keith, who do we have coming up after the break? Oh, you don't want to miss it. Next, singer and songwriter Deborah Allen. Then actress Nancy Stafford and director Nina May review their new film, First Lady. Later, America's Got Talent finalist catching right here on Huckabee. Well, when we think of the Bahamas, our minds drift to images of an island paradise. But the people of the Bahamas are hardworking folks whose lives were shattered by Hurricane Dorian, as well as 185 mile an hour winds that absolutely devastated those beautiful islands. Well, Samaritan's Purse has done incredible work there. My own wife, Janet, has worked now twice on the teams, cleaning rubble, rebuilding lives. But the healing is far from over. Would you please commit to pray and send a simple gift that will help provide medical care, shelter, as well as love and hope to the people who live there? You can make that call or visit Samaritan's Purse website, and I hope we can all help those whose broken lives need to be put back together. Thank you. Thank you so much for making a difference. Well, let me tell you about my next guest, a Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter as well as a successful author and actress. Her remarkable singing voice created hits like, I Hurt You, I've Been Wrong Before, and Baby, I Lied. That is not Nancy Pelosi's theme song, by the way. That is her song, she wrote it. Bigger than her inspiring singing voice and hit songs is her heart for people. Absolutely a favorite of ours. Would you please welcome Deborah Allen. Deborah, Thank welcome. So Good to have you here. Thank well, you. it is an honor having you here. I love your voice, Thank phenomenal you. voice, but I'm most impressed that you have written over 1,600 songs. I just, I just love writing songs, and I got my initial inspiration from Shel Silverstein. He changed my life in That's, an instant. What did he do that inspired you to want to write songs? Well, I had just come back from Russia with Tennessee Ernie Ford and mm -hmm. a State Department tour, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do uh, with the rest of my life, so I invited him to come hear me sing. And when he heard me sing, uh, I slid in beside him like, well, what do you think? And he was like, well, you got a really good voice. He looks like a pirate, and he, he has that <laughs> ragged voice. And I'm like, oh boy, I'm getting ready uh -huh. to get discovered. I was about 18 years old. And then he said, but you know, there's a lot of great singers here in Nashville. And I felt a little deflated. But then he went on to say, have you ever thought about writing songs? And I said, well, you know, I've written poems. He said, you know how good you feel when you're up there on that stage? And I was like, yeah, what's he getting at? And he goes, you know, that feeling goes away, doesn't it? And I went, yeah. And he goes, a song's something you can keep with you forever. And he goes, you can write your own style. And he said, besides, the sun doesn't shine on the same dog's back every day. <laughs> <laughs> what a great line. <laughs> yeah, and it's so true. And then he said, and it'll keep you from going crazy. Well, you've written songs for Brooks and Don, Diana Ross, Isaac Hayes, Fleetwood Mac. Um, when you hear your song, mm -hmm. are you more thrilled to hear them sing it? Or are you thinking, boy, wish I was up there. I'm, well, you know, I love to be a performer, but when you hear someone of that magnitude sing one of your songs, you know, and, and I've been blessed to have a lot of great country artists too, like Patti Loveless and Leanne Rhymes and George mm. and Tammy and Conway. But, you know, I'm just always so humbled that they would choose a song that I had something to do with. 
And, you know, and as the years go by, it becomes more and more uh, sentimental to me and more valuable to my heart. It's great. You've got a big project this year, um, and it's, it's all about bringing some of the music back, and it's a partnership with uh, Billy Ray Cyrus, John Rich, mm -hmm. Vince Gill. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Well, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the TAPS project. Yeah. And uh, it is just phenomenal to be a part of that. Uh, Frank Myers and Jimmy Nichols called me up. They're incredible songwriters, and they produced the project. And um, what it is, it's Tragedy Assistant Program for survivors. So mm. it's for the surviving members of our fallen heroes. And they got together. <laughs> yes. Beautiful. They got. The plan is, uh, the, and they partnered with some people out of Memphis yeah. that I absolutely love, Roots and Americana Music Group. Mm. And uh, what the premise of it is, is a lot of songwriters got together to write stories with these surviving members of families. And uh, it was just so touching and so healing. And then made a phenomenal album along the lines of We Are the World. The album's called uh, Love Lives On. Mm. And you know what? I was noticing everybody got a badge, but you... So I brought you a badge. Oh, good. This is Preston, our fallen oh, that's soldier. that's beautiful. And I wanted you to have it. That is beautiful. What a beautiful reminder of a true American yes. hero. You know what? What's really different about his story is he was in Iraq. He did not get shot. He came mm. back and was stationed in El Paso. And he was home for three weeks. He just loved to play basketball, but took one night to go out with friends and got shot by a stray bullet. Oh, my soul. And his mother was informed. And she, she was hoping it was just like a car wreck, but then she realized it was more serious. But she wound up donating five of Preston's uh, body, you know, organs. organs yeah. And his heart is in a 70-year-old man. And wow. so there's where, you know, press on Preston is his He title. truly does live on. Yes. Before I let you go, I want you to tell me about uh, the project you have this year called Best You've Never Heard, redoing oh, your uh, yes. catalog. Yeah, we're actually, today we're launching my catalog. We reworked my catalog and we're launching it on all the digital platforms. And then once a month this year, we're going to release the best you've never heard. Because I've got, like you pointed 1600 out, 1,600 songs. So many songs. So I decided it was time for people to hear some of those songs. So six, a little six-pack once a month. And by the end of 12 months, it'll be 72 songs. That sounds exciting. Yeah. <laughs> well, after the show, please go to Huckabee.tv. We're going to have an online exclusive performance of Deborah's signature hit, Baby, I Lied. You do not want to miss that. For more information about Love Lives On, as well as Deborah's Best You Never Heard release, visit her website, DebraAllen.com. Hey, Keith. I know you would never, ever lie to us, but would you tell the folks at home and tell the truth? Tell us what's coming up next. Okay. Next, Nancy Stafford and Nina May talk the movie premiere First Lady, plus singer Ketchy tells her story of survival here on Huckabee. Welcome back. There is a new movie coming soon that I know you are going to love. It's called First Lady. It's a classic style romantic comedy with a bit of a political twist. Here is a special sneak preview of First Lady. 
Mallory. I was delighted to hear Harold's throwing his hat in the ring for president. Oh, come on, Kate. You can do better than that. I'm sincerely thrilled that Harold will be representing your party's nomination for president. Well, you can't possibly be happy about the influence that I have over the millennials. Face it, Kate, it's a new day in America. Yes, Mallory, it's always a new day in America. Every 24 hours. Please welcome the writer, director, and producer of First Lady, Nina May, and the film star. You know her and love her from Matlock, Scandal, Saint Elsewhere, and so many other great shows, Nancy Stafford. Nancy, Nina, so nice to have you guys here. Thank you so much. Nina, I'm gonna start with you about what inspired you to do this uh, film about really politics, but it's not so much a political No, it's not political film. at all. Um, I've been involved with politics for years and years and years. And after a while, someone asked me, they said, Nina, would you ever think about running for president? And I said, no, but I would love to run for first lady. <laughs> I, was, it was, I was just sort of being funny because I love throwing parties. I love the protocol of the White House. And then I started thinking about that when I was writing some of my high concept scripts. I said, hmm, what would that look like? And I just started writing it, and it just got funnier and funnier. And I immediately thought of Nancy as a dear friend. I said, she would be the perfect first lady, and she just nails it. She and Corbin do an amazing job. It's just it's beautiful. I just love it. It's funny. Nancy, when you first read the script, how did it hit you? And were you immediately in love with it, or did it take a while? Immediately in love with it. Really? Oh, yes. I mean, yeah. how often do you get to be Flotus? I mean, seriously. <laughs> and um, I love this woman, and her writing is great. And what drew me really to it was that it was funny. It, it, it's a lighthearted look at politics, but it's not political. Mm -hmm. And it's this beautiful, lovely, romantic story. You know, there's so much in the film industry, entertainment industry, yeah. that is so, if, if I can use the term, it's preachy. Mm -hmm, you know, they're right. yelling at me, they're screaming at me, they're trying to push their point of view at me. Mm -hmm. I got a point of view, I get that. Right. And I don't mind somebody else having one, but when yeah. I go to the movie theater, I don't want someone to try to educate me on what I should be thinking. Right. So right. how were you able to create this kind of approach to a political backdrop without it being... I worked really hard at that okay. because I am political and I wanted to make sure that no one could tell. And I've asked people, I said, okay, tell me what parties these, both these candidates belong to. And just when they think they've got it figured out, I switch it. I switch uh. it because I said, I don't want it to be about politics. I don't want it to be this side versus that side. It's a love story. And I want people to come in there. Maybe you bring your, your politics in. Maybe you don't like each other, but I want them leaving laughing together. I want everyone laughing because I think that We've gotten to the point where there's so much political division in the country. If we can just work a little bit harder to figure out what can we have in common? What can we do together to just sort of chill it out, calm it all down? And I think, especially for Valentine's Day, what a perfect date night. Yeah. Get everyone there together, laughing together, and just remember why we are Americans. We have different points of view, right. different perspectives, but you know what? We love each other, really, when you think about it. And you will leave laughing, trust me. You will. She's a wonderful writer. And the thing I really loved about it was that it's a return to civility. Yeah. Mm. And the, it's the dignity of the office is what is lifted up as a character, actually, in the, the film. And I think that's, it's high time mm -hmm. for that. I think it's about time we have a fun movie that the whole family can go to together, that you're not going, oh my gosh, close the ears, close the eyes, I can't believe I'm in here watching it. And it's just so offensive sometimes. Yeah. Wouldn't it be fun to just go to a date night on Valentine's Day 
with your, your special person, your whole family. Take the kids. It's just going to be fun. Well, I want to tell you thank you for a wonderful uh, opportunity to get a chance to have both of you on the show and talk about the film. I hope so many people will go on Valentine's night and see this fantastic film, The First Lady. Yes. It's going to be fun family-friendly, and we need more of that. Yeah, so, Nina, you keep writing them. Nancy, you keep starring you them. Well. And them you keep coming there. back to tell us about them <laughs> whenever you, you do one. Thank, Thank you so sir. very Thank much. You so much. <laughs> Thank you. Our first announcer is Keith Bilbrey. He's going to tell us what's in store after the break. Well, coming up, the remarkable Ketchy joins us on Huckabee. Welcome back. Now, in 2005, a horrific plane crash in Nigeria took the lives of 107 people. My next guest is one of only two survivors of that plane crash. She became a fan favorite and a finalist on NBC's America's Got Talent. Today, she's an inspiring singer, advocate, public speaker, and author. I want you to welcome a remarkable young lady, Catchy. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here. Oh, happy to be here. Really. I, I want to go back to uh, obviously a turning point in your life, a mm -hmm. plane crash. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like God just put his hand on you and caused you to s be saved and survive through all of that in a special way for a special reason? I do believe that my life is a miracle. I believe that um, because I'm alive, that means I still have something that he wants me to do here. So I try to live my life exactly like that, like with purpose, basically. And I think he gave me a second chance to do that. Was singing a part of your life before the crash? Not as much as it after. And, and why did it become so much more a part of your life afterwards? Because uh, quite literally, my voice changed significantly after the accident. Mm. Yeah, about four months into my treatment, um, the first time I opened my mouth to sing, uh, I just started singing. And I used to before, but when I did this time, my mom, I remember she looked at me like, what was that? That's, you didn't used to sound like that? And I was like, I know, like, what is this? You know, so it became this thing that, this one good thing that came out of this horrible situation. And I felt like God gave me this thing to kind of um, help me deal with what was going on. So it became this really um, big part of my, my um, rehabilitation. Yeah. Yeah, and my healing. Yeah. You got into America's Got Talent. Uh, was it a lark or did you say, I'm gonna go and win this thing? Okay, so honestly, it was a friend of mine yeah. that signed me up for the show without telling me. You didn't even know? I did not even know until I got a phone call one Saturday morning from an agent from AGC. She said her name was Destiny and that she had seen my application and they wanted to move forward with me. And before I knew it, I was on the show. And so. obviously a finalist in 2017. Yes, I was. But then in 2019, you came back as part of the champions of America's Got Talent. Yes. Something pretty big happened. Yes. What happened? Biggest thing. Um, after my performance, uh, Simon Cowell gave me his golden buzzer during um, when the judges give you feedback. He normally doesn't do that. He shocked me completely. He shocked everybody. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually nice. He was really nice. <laughs> it was so crazy. I'll never forget that moment. It was like him basically acknowledging the fact that he believed that I deserved to be there with everyone else. It was so sweet. He loved you. I'm so happy he did. It's so scary when he doesn't like you. <laughs> yeah, he's not real nice when he doesn't like you. Heck, he's not that nice when he does. That was great. 
Well, we love you. We oh, are very you. honored to have you here. Your story is such a powerful one. Thank you. God has given you a powerful voice. We're all going to get to hear it because as Ketchy gets ready to perform, uh, and she is in just a moment, Keith is going to tell you how you can stay connected with her and get her music. For all things Ketchy, including her new music performances, speaking appearances, and her upcoming book, please visit KetchyOfficial.com. And now here to sing is Ketchy. Just to be with you. 